Professor Michael McCann testified before the United States Senate on the NCAA athlete name, image, and likeness rights. This is The Legal Impact, the weekly podcast presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD, graduate programs, and online professional certificates. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. So, Mike, this episode is going to be a mix of Inside Law Admissions and the Legal Impact podcast. So as we talk, I want to intermingle the process of speaking to the Senate. In addition to the subject of name, image, and likeness that you were brought in to testify on, uh, to kick it off, for those that are new to the show, how have you come to be seen as an expert in the realm of name, image, and likeness, and how did that play into you being asked to speak? Yeah, so I've been writing about name, image, and likeness for years, really ever since Ed O'Bannon brought his historic class action against the NCAA and electronic arts. That's back in 2009. I was one of the first people to write about the lawsuit and analyze it. And I went to his trial, I covered it, I wrote about it. I ended up writing a book with Ed O'Bannon on on his case. So that ended up being a pretty significant part of my career in sports law and also just teaching, It's, it's a big part of what I do. And I also teach a course at our law school on name, image, and likeness. I've taught it now for the first, for two years in a row. It was the first class offered at any law school on NIL and it began last year. So these are all ways in which I've become known as an expert in this particular area. What was the Senate committee that you spoke to and what was that experience like? So I spoke with the Commerce Committee and I was invited on a Friday. I knew that they were going to call and talk about name, image, and likeness in the state of potential federal legislation because a number of state laws go into effect on July 1 that would allow college athletes to sign endorsement deals and sponsorships. There are many who argue that Congress should act before then to create a, a uniform national standard. So I got a call and I was invited to appear and I was then told what that would entail. It would entail writing written testimony. And I I said, well, could I use my written testimony as my oral testimony? And they said, sure. I quickly realized that's not the way it was going to shake out because my written testimony ended up being, according to a speech app, about 22 minutes long. Uh, It ended up being about 3,000 words. I wrote it over the weekend. I was just really motivated to write something on it. But I was also told that I would only have five minutes to present. There would be other <laughs> that times. causes a little bit of an issue. <laughs> yeah, so I knew I had some editing to do. And honestly, the editing took forever because I wanted to keep my points while also making sure I kept it within five minutes. And I was told by someone who worked on the Hill that if that a red light could flash at me while I'm talking if I got close to five minutes. And I obviously don't want to be cut off. It would be really embarrassing on national TV to like be the, the long-winded professor, right? That's what I would be known as. So I did some really swift editing and I got it down. I actually had two versions of my oral remarks. One was the five minute version and then the other was uh, that would go a little bit over. I would try to see if there was gonna be a red light. Yeah, I mean, how did the uh, senators respond to your testimony? I think they responded well. And I was introduced by Senator Cantwell and she, turned it over to me. It was after Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, spoke. It was a really high-profile panel, 
and, and a great honor to be on it. I was sitting next to, to Mark Emmert, someone who I've written about over the years, uh, not always in flattering ways. So that was interesting to be sitting next to him. Uh, and he was extremely well prepared. Really, everyone on the panel took it seriously. That, that was something that I was glad to see. I mean, everyone was super prepared and I was definitely prepared to talk. I had rehearsed my oral remarks a number of times and uh, I think I had them down at a good pace. I knew them by heart. So it seemed to go well. I was able to talk about my work with Ed O'Bannon and some of the other points that I raised. What was it like being kind of on the other side of the journalist versus the people that are the subject of what the journalism has covered? I mean, you were must have been being must have been interesting being lumped in with. I mean, Senator Cory Booker was also one of the people that testified. Yeah, it was really cool to be sort of in that group of of the deciders. I'm obviously not a decider, but I was providing testimony on a topic that these decision makers would use. So to be part of the story in a way, rather than to be writing about the story was, was a different role. But I'm glad it was on something that I knew a lot about. I think that that helped, right? That I felt like this was a topic by this point, I have a strong command of the subject area. But that was an interesting role. I knew other people covering the story that were in the hearing room. So it was fun to just sort of shift roles for, for at least a few hours. It must not be something that is extremely common when it comes to sports and entertainment law to to have testimonies like this going on. It always seems like like once every five or ten years, there's some big thing that comes up. So to the people don't realize, like a lot of the pe- a lot of senators have their JD and stuff like that. So it must be a, a unique way of speaking to people. Yeah, and they were really ready for the hearing, all of them from both parties. Now, now some had their own sort of unique set of issues that they wanted to talk about that wasn't always about name, image, likeness, but partly because their staff sort of trains them on, on what to, to raise. And then secondly, as you mentioned, AJ, that many of them are attorneys or have other advanced degrees and have just been in the, in the game for a while. They were, they were ready to talk you know, to be able to sort of share thoughts with them and have an exchange with them, I thought was a great opportunity. And I, I think nowadays we've sort of reached this point where people ridicule Congress no matter what, right? No matter the party, they're seen as dysfunctional, that they're just hyper-partisan. That wasn't the impression I got at all. I, I, most of them I thought were trying to find a pathway to legislation on both party, uh, in both parties. And I was pretty impressed that it wasn't this partisan bickering that we sometimes see on TV. Now, maybe it's just the personalities of the people there, but maybe it's the Senate rather than the House. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of factors yeah. that play a role in that. But it was collegial. Although the Republicans sat on one side and the Democrats sat on the other, that was pretty much the distinction. Otherwise, they were getting along pretty well. It's also a mix of because it's a committee, which is a very small group of them. They're all there for one purpose, which is specific to what's being discussed. And it's not necessary when they're on the Senate floor. It's a lot more politicized and put on like CNN and such is going to 100 percent cover it a lot more than just watching on C-SPAN, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think that's right. This is really their job, right? This is their job to craft legislation. And they were taking it in that stride. 
Whereas, as you mentioned, in other settings, whether it be on the floor or whether it be interviewing with one of the networks, their their political hat probably plays a bigger role in that context. And in a way, it's just too bad because you could see when they work collaboratively, they're actually really substantive people that are trying to find sensible paths. Senator Roger Wicker, Senator Maria Cantwell, the Republican and Democratic leaders of the committee, they clearly are working together. They were talking before the hearing. It wasn't like what we see, I think, depicted on TV. And this is an important subject that's been, as you've mentioned before, and we've talked about on previous editions of The Legal Impact, where name, image, and likeness for college athletes is very a very important matter that is getting a lot of news coverage, it's getting a lot of legislation being passed on the state level. So, I mean, when a certain level, these college athletes aren't playing just in their respective states. They, they travel to different states. So there's a lot of interstate commerce that's involved and things like that. Uh, what were some of the important aspects that the the senators were concerned about during these hearings? So one concern is that, as you mentioned, AJ, a group of states have, it's now 19 states have passed NIL laws. Six of them, as of now, that could change, will go into effect on July 1st. And in those states, college athletes, at least based on the letter of the law, would be able to sign endorsement deals and sponsorships and, and those types of things. The problem is it's much more complicated than that because... The, the schools in those states have membership obligations to the NCAA, so they'd be breaching contracts to the NCAA. And the senators were definitely trying to get a sense from President Mark Emmert, head of the NCAA, whether they were going to go to court before July 1st to seek restraining orders to prevent these laws from going into effect. They tried that path about 30 years ago in a different setting, and it worked. So it wouldn't surprise me if this goes to court, because the NCAA doesn't want a situation where athletes in some states can do X, but those in other states can't. And the NCAA wants to control how athletes use those rights. So the senators are really trying to get a sense of one, is this as urgent as those of us on the panel made it seem? And secondly, if they don't take any action, what are the repercussions? And litigation is certainly a repercussion there are a lot of people sort of saying, oh, in July 1, I'm going to go sign an endorsement deal because I play in Alabama or I play in Florida. Maybe, or maybe it winds up in court, or maybe the school says, no, you can't because we don't want to violate our contract to the NCAA. There's a lot of ways in which this could play out. Now, what did our, uh, our name, image, and likeness expert Mike McCann have to say on the matter? Well, I, I recommended a federal approach. I, I, I get why a state-by-state -state approach can be appealing because every state can do their own thing. And I'm certainly one to say, let states have autonomy. But the problem, or at least the, the challenge with every state doing their own thing is that it will lead to disruption for, for a while and probably litigation. I don't think that's really what anyone wants. I think college athletes wanna have certainty. I think schools wanna have certainty. There's an argument that let the states sort of jockey with each other and sort of race to, to who's going to be most appealing to recruits. That's not an indefensible position, but I also don't think it's one that would lead to the kind of framework that would be good for college sports heading into the next school year. And I, I would also I also said, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we're in this position, that this Ed O'Bannon's case was brought a dozen years ago. Why are we now... It's like wait. It's like the student in Civ Pro waiting 
for the night before the exam to study. Yeah, it's really hard, right? Because you waited until the end of study and it's complicated. This this could have been addressed much earlier. Yeah, it feels like it, it some spark must have must have happened where just enough uh politicians thought this was interesting enough to kick up that um that it just blew up and the, the college athletes that are involved with it obviously have a very short span of time before they're completely out of the system where it's even going to matter to them every, anymore, which is probably in the opposite end of it also why it's hard to keep the momentum going because the athletes are, after four years at most, they're gone. Yeah, and, and I think that's a big part. I also think some of the senators have now sort of vested themselves into the topic from both parties from the Republicans, Senator Wicker, Senator Moran, Senator Rubio, have all introduced NIL legislation on the Democratic side, Senator Murphy, Senator Blumenthal, Senator Booker, uh, and, and others. So they have, I think there's now enough sort of senators that have put their hat into the ring where they don't want this going away because it could look sort of like a failure, right? That they didn't act in time. And as you mentioned with the athletes, they they do have a short four years and some of them are going to leave earlier than that. So waiting a year or two would mean a whole bunch of athletes don't benefit from this. Thanks for listening to Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify.